yes, 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 yes! That was a goal! Striker! And another! Bing bang, stick it in! Thank you and good night! Twat! That was liquid football! Okay, we're live. I'll give us a clap and we'll begin. Everybody, it's your friends at Monday Madness, and welcome to another episode of the That Was Liquid Football podcast. <laughs> it's your old friends Jonathan, uh, Neil, and Burpa joining us. Uh, well done, Burpa, for joining us. You seem to have the clap today, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's good it to see make the a journey. difference from any other day. No, I was about to say, just add it to the list. <laughs> You've been dunked on twice already. It's a bad sign. Uh, so, guys, this is our—I um, suppose this is kind of our Premier League preview podcast, isn't it? Like, absolutely, football, yeah. Football is about to come home. Football um, is about to restart. Yes, and now we don't have to watch any foreign stuff because apparently that's—it's uh, bad for us mentally. You're watching a uh, football from another country. Uh, we don't want to know, learn from any other cultures, or find out anything about other. We don't people. want to see VAR being done well. Exactly. We want to give out about VAR and give out about Brit the Brits being at it again. That's what we're here to see, lads. Well, VAR hasn't VAR been scrapped for the remainder of the season because you can't. It's in a uh, I think it's. I don't know if it's optional or it's been scrapped completely, but I think oh, it's like. I thought I'd been sacked off for the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. I thought. It, I thought it was as well, but we will find out next week. Um, three days, to be precise. In fairness, uh, we don't have to wait long at all. Um. So, we will kick off this podcast as we uh, traditionally do, because I have yet again got another round of transfer guff to share with you. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. Indeed. Uh, as is tradition, I have uh, three stories to share with you. Uh, two of them are from reputable sources who are claim they have the scoop on some transfer news, whereas one I just took, took my FIFA save file just five minutes ago. So uh, it's In up all to you fairness, to considering how many transfer stories have been going around right now, mm. your FIFA save file might be more accurate than most. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, don't worry. Actually, I have a really yeah. This is it. Like, um, in fact, obviously we know it's very repetitive. So, uh, this one's themed again. This is a uh, deja vu round, um, Ooh. on people that I've mentioned Ooh. before on the uh, on the podcast. Oh, but it's Walter Wofford and fuck. Oh, don't worry. No, that's not <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, I'll just cut that one out. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my first story today comes from France Football. Uh who have apparently got a scoop on Philippe Coutinho. Now, oh, there's been a lot of... Jesus di- Christ. There's been a lot of discourse yes. about him, right? He's been linked to everywhere. But according to them, and this one might have legs, they seem to think that Newcastle have got the edge on them. They've supposedly started negotiations with Philippe Coutinho's agent um, over a permanent move once a takeover takes place. Newcastle wants like a world-class number 10, 
and they think Philip Coutinho is that man. So apparently talks have been very positive so far, and if this takeover goes through, then Coutinho will be playing on time sides. So that's our first story. The second story comes from uh, Sport in Spain, uh, and they are they have a bit of a story on PSG at the moment, uh, because uh, at the time, Edison Cavani was a likely departure from Paris. Now he has actually left, uh, and PSG are looking for backup strikers for Mario Riccardi. So they seem to think that the backup striker they're going for is Iago Aspas, the Celta Vigo captain. They seem to think that they can offer him a two-year deal on maybe, uh, I think they're saying doubling the wages thereabouts, uh, and only for a couple of million. So he'll be the backup to Mario Riccardi at PSG. Um, that's according to Sport. My last story then call, comes from calciomercato.com, who report that AS Roma have joined the race to sign Irish free agent Jeff Hendrick. Now, Roma seem to think, see, Roma want him as well, right? Obviously because he's apparently a world-class midfielder, according to Italian football. But also because, and this is genuine, um, because he's a practicing Roman Catholic. Uh, AS Roma want to sign him because he's, he's, he's a rosary rattler, basically. Um, so that is supposedly why they want to sign him. So our three stories again are Philip Coutinho to Newcastle, Iago Aspas to PSG, or Jeff Hendrick to AS Roma. So, what are you two guys fancying? Um, I can only imagine the Newcastle Coutinho thing will come about if the overlords take over yes. at um, Newcastle. Because mm-hmm. um, they don't, they, Mike Ashley, that, you know, a skillful player is not the type of person Mike Ashley wants to bring into the club. Naturally. Um, so, I'm going to have to say that on the condition that they're talking about if Newcastle get their takeover, that that's true. But I, I'm going to actually call bullshit on the Aspas. Aspas the PSG. Yeah. I will call bullshit on the Roma one. You're calling, you think Hendrik to Roma is nonsense? Yeah, let, let's face it. Coutinho has been literally linked with everyone and anyone. So like, mm. even if that Coutinho to Newcastle thing did come from your FIFA save file, I'm fairly certain that if I went on Google... <laughs> You know, I could fucking reputable <laughs> uh, news source that has linked them to the Qatari overlords or Saudi overlords. Saudi overlords that yes. are due to take over the black and white. So yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, so let's see which one of you is correct. Um, my first real story is indeed about Philip Coutinho and Newcastle. France football think that uh, Newcastle can lead the way with a. Uh, Blockbuster offer is what they're saying because of all the sweet, delicious Saudi money that is definitely reputable. It's definitely fine. Sweet, no, sweet not candy. even a drop of blood on it, lads. It's absolutely clean. And um, my other story comes from calciomercato.com, and they are reporting that AS Roma have joined the yes. race to sign Jeff Hendrick, which means the story I nicked from FIFA was Mayago Aspas to PSG as Fucking a backup hell. to Maro Icardi. Who knew that Jeff Hendrick could be so pop, so fucking popular? Like, according to them now, they say they're in a race with AC Milan and Celtic to sign Hendrick. And again, it's all because of, like, he's Irish? I don't know. Like, I, I don't see the appeal. Like, <laughs> I really, really don't. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's so well, weird. He's a decent player. I just wouldn't think he'd have been on their radar. This is the he, problem. Yeah. I know. Because like like Roma and like mid and Roma and Milan have like very good midfields. Like they have like 
very promising players, but you wouldn't see Hendrick like, starting like that's the odd thing. He he's at Burnley, isn't isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's at Burnley. Yeah. Like, how do they know about Burnley when I can barely remember them? <laughs> <laughs> and she watches the league that they play in. Well, it's a magical thing about scouting systems. Like they just go with what the computer says. If the computer says yes, then that's who they sign. Like all these big clubs work the same way. Like it's like in a no big fairness. Like, Roma, Roma are looking to keep Mkhitaryan off of us, mm. and apparently, like I've seen this a few places where we we want um, a swap for uh, Justin Kluivert. Yes, that is a that was one of my rejected um, transfer goals because I knew you guys would notice it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've kind of avoided anything Arsenal because I knew you lads would be all over it like a fucking rash. In all fairness, unfortunately, no, you... my feed is like it, like infested with it. Oh, it's yeah. terrible! Like it, it's really, apparently really... party is done. Yeah, apparently we, yeah, apparently we've signed them. <laughs> with, okay, what money with with. Uh, <laughs> I know it hasn't happened. Stop it, like I don't even know who this fella is, and I purposely not looked into who he is so that I don't go, "Oh, he would be great," and so I don't be like, "Oh, he's got Man United." Partey is a very like he's very much like Fabinho in the way he plays. Like he's a, he's a number six, and he just gets in the way. Like he's massive. He's like a big tank of a guy, and he gets around the pitch very very well. Uh, and in a way, like he's actually a little bit better than Fabinho when he's on the ball. Like he actually takes, he travels with the ball very well. But Fabinho's kind of like better, like as a has more of an awareness. So kind of like take your pick, really, what type of player you want. But like the two of them are very, very close to each other. Um, Either it's way, very, it's very not good us. No, it's not. <laughs> of course, it's not. Like this is like this is one of the better net, like defensive midfields in La Liga. And they're not like no offense, lads, but they're not going to sell it to Arsenal. Like. I don't think even a team like fucking Man City could like could rattle Atletico for him, you know, because they're, they're, he's the type of player that he couldn't really replace. That's why they sold Rodri off because he well, had. He's, well, he's like he's he's got a release clause mm. of a relatively low, what sixty million? I thought it was forty six. Yeah, I think it was 40, like sixty million euro. I think it yeah, was. yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, they, they potentially if somebody stumps up that cash. The club can't stop them. That's possibly the whole, yeah. That's major because I think all Atletico Madrid players have release clauses. Oh no, it's yeah. all La Liga players. Yeah, have release clauses. Like by law, they have to have a release clause. Mm. So um, yeah, there's that. But I mean, I, where are we going to get fucking forty six million quid? <laughs> this is it. Like it's bizarre. Um, so mad. From a Liverpool standpoint, last time we spoke, uh, I was saying that all of our transfer news is about Timo Werner. And despite him supposedly <laughs> signing for Chelsea, it's still about Timo Werner. It's so bizarre because um, like the only like the real reputable source we work with is James Pierce from The Athletic. You should subscribe. Uh, and he, he has like the inside track on Liverpool news. So whatever he says is gospel. It's very much like David Ornstein back in the day. Um, and th- the curious thing is that like all of Liverpool was in denial that now Chelsea are supposedly signing Werner. And not only that, but like Chelsea signing Werner, but they're also signing the other lads we had scouted, which was Havertz. But like us scouting him kind of says nothing really. Like, like it's Liverpool. We're going to scout anybody really. Um, and the curious thing was that like, obviously signings excite people. That's what, that's what they do. Um, but like everyone, any sensible Liverpool fans going, lads, have you seen the young players that we have coming out here? Like, if you're going to sign, like, someone like Havertz or Werner, you're saying no to, like, a Brewster or a Curtis Jones who have been doing bits in very, very good leagues. So, 
in a way, like it's kind of like weird, like duality of the Liverpool fan, where they feel like they have to keep the superiority by signing players without knowing that maybe we are just like we we have the infrastructure there to keep this shit going. Like we could like have a good team for years on end without having also, to sign anybody. And also, Havertz is not going to be cheap. He's been on everybody's radar for the last three years. Like this is it. Like yeah. Um, like I, I'm hopeful that we are like if we're not going to be like champions every year, we will be at these contenders because most of the players we're going to lock down to long term contracts. Like Van Dijk is going to sign a, a deal worth 220k a week in the next coming days, which is massive. Like he'll be our highest paid player, um, which would then like want Salah and Mane to sign up to new deals, and then Trent will sign up a new deal, then Hendo will sign, and like the whole team is like locked down then for fucking five years. So that's our that's our generation sorting, and all the while, the likes of Neko Williams or the likes of our Curtis Jones have locked down their deals, and Ox is down, Kate is down, like the whole team is sorted. You know, that that's what like I think that's what the likes of Klopp are kind of like saying, like why should you improve on something that's working perfectly? You know what I mean? Uh, but it's the way it's the way that football works. Like it's always the acquisition of even shinier things, isn't it? And Jesus, Chelsea have really nailed that so far. <laughs> It was always Chelsea's kind of model was just basically buy everything. Yeah. You know, City, have, the only reason, the City have beaten them to it as well by buying everybody, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's just the way it is. Um, it kind of feels bizarre for Chelsea though, because you thought, you'd think that they, with Lampard in charge, they would have like relied on the youth a bit more. But if anything, they just said, okay, now we'll use the youth and now let's get back to normal with, with making a big deal club. So, like, I don't know how, like, if they do sign Werner, how does he fit in with Abraham? And if they sign Havertz, how does he sign it, like, fit up with Mason Mount? I can see where they're kind of going with, like, having two strong players per position. But, like, eventually, players will go stale. Like, they, they can't sit on the bench all the time. And well, Absolutely as well. Like, I mean, if they're going to spend, like, Havertz, they're not going to be able to get him for anything less than 60 million. At least. I'd say At 80. At least. I mean, like, yeah. all right, then let's say 60, 80, whatever, you don't spend that much amount of money to have him as the second in a two-man position. Like, he's going to play, like... Yeah, exactly. Say where, where, and if they sign Werner for, what, 60 million? Well, know, supposedly, yeah. But the yeah, release so cost might be gone, so... Yeah, know. so they sign Werner for 60 million. You know, where does that fit in with Abraham? Well, they mm-hmm. turn around to Abraham and go, well, we've spent 60 million quid on this guy, and they're probably paying him a shitload more than they're paying Abraham as well. Yeah. And let's not forget so, now, they already have Zayek um, signed and sealed as well. So exactly. who does he replace? Does he replace well. Yeah, so does he, does he replace hudson Doy or is he playing number 10? Because he can do both. You know, yeah. So it's, that's, that's just it, basically. So they just mm-hmm. turn around to these younger players because they have them locked down, their youth players. Yeah. Um, because they have them locked down. And they just turn around to them and go, well, look, you know, go find another club or play second fiddle. It's so odd because, like, it, they're the two positions I kind of consider Chelsea the strongest. Like, when you have, like, you have Abraham and Giroud, two very good striker options. Batshuayi can, like, even catch himself. This is it, like, like Giroud does good stuff. Like, he, he's always done, done good stuff wherever he's gone. And it's he just does that, it like, so beautifully. Yeah, this is it, like, he's, he's so underrated. The sincerity there, I love it. <laughs> but, but the curious thing is that, like, like, Abraham has had a good season, and it feels a bit harsh to then bring in a striker to, as it were, have him compete either like like for like or replace him. Whereas like if you look further down the down the pitch, like Chelsea really do need a new left back because Marcus Alonso is like sketchy when it comes to defending. And we've all like watched Kepa 
like do a very good impression of a goalkeeper, but not quite exactly hitting the mark. You know he, what I mean? He's not lived up to what the seventy million quid they paid. Seventy for million, yeah. They they outspent us on Allison. I just want to point out. Yeah. And Allison has been like he's been good. He's been okay. He's been great. But like it's not like he's not seventy million worth with Kepa. You know what I mean? That that's that's he's they're never gonna get that money back. <laughs> so it, it, it's it's a bit it's a pity. Um, I don't recall any other like transfer tidbits going around really. Like it's always been mostly Chelsea. Like United are in for Sancho, but let's who be fair, lads. Who isn't exactly? Everyone... And having watched him play, yeah, he's a decent player. But if he wasn't English, no one would be taking any notice of him. Mm. Yeah, it's always the kind of it, uh, the reason they're taking interest of him is because he basically like said no to like a the English football system went to Germany. And then every, like, you know, like, thought-provoking sports journalist had to go, ooh, let's see what this renegade does. It's like, renegade, as in, like, he saw a system in Germany that's so much better at bleeding in young players than the Premier League and decided to go there. And is now, shockingly, one of the most biggest stars in German football. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew that could happen? What a, what a, what a crazy coincidence that is. So, yeah, wonderful stuff. Uh, so... Let's get on with our Premier League preview, lads. Um, we have a pretty much like a, a sprint to the finish here. Uh, everyone more or less has nine games to play. We have some have ten. Uh, in fact, one of the teams that has ten is yourselves, guys. It's Arsenal first. Task yeah, potentially. Well, we we've potentially fourteen if we do a full run in the FA Cup. Mm. Up and that's what's counting for the Europa League as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's pretty good. We've got. Five games over the next 15 days. So we're technically on a game every three days for the next two weeks. Yeah. And then it goes out to, I think, four four days per game when the FA Cup games kick back in. Mm. Um, yeah, no, this should be good. I mean, funnily enough, I genuinely think um, Arsenal are going to be one of the f- teams that come out of this kind of lockdown better off somewhat. Um, when they come in. Yeah, so we're looking at only uh, Chambers being our only still long-term injured yeah. um, injury, and even then he's he's now he's now in full training. Yeah. So, yeah, it's no, I, I reckon it could be pretty good. We'll be able to actually feel the decent full team. That's good. Yeah. So, um, I I am worried about your optimism. Uh, <laughs> it's always a bad sign never let it's, be- let it, it's because I haven't watched Arsenal in four months and I'm like you know the, the crushing heartbreaking it is exactly the hope that <laughs> they normally just crush out of me it's actually starting uh, to you built it up over like, those months <laughs> my new fitness watch after the lockdown started so it hasn't had to record my heart rate <laughs> during a football match so it'd be interesting to see if I do get any alarms sent to my doctor about uh, <laughs> the state of my heart on, on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Should probably give your doctor a heads up. Oh, by the way, I'm an Arsenal fan and they're playing. <laughs> totally understandable. Have a great day. The doctor recommends do not watch that match. Disengage <laughs> from all internets that day. Yeah. Yeah, but curiously enough, I mean, I kind of watched a bit of the highlights of the two pre-seasons <laughs> even though they're occurring in the middle of the fucking uh, towards yeah. the end of the season but not overthink that um, some quite interesting things happening um, 
you know, Maitland-Niles was fielded as a midfielder in both games. No as Xhaka. intended. Yeah, no Xhaka in either games. Mm. Um, also said, also um, uh, read there that uh, Maitland-Niles in training is actually training with not the defenders like Bukayo Saka is. Yeah. For now, he's training with the midfielders. Oh, okay. So it's 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 clear that I, like, I, I've been, heard he's been do, playing CM. And yeah. In the first game, he did a, a decent decent route against Charlton, which um, was completely kind of glossed over by the fact it was Charlton. Yeah. Um, but he made two errors in the lead up to two of Brentford's goals, from what I am. Um, from what I had seen as highlights. Now, whether they were kind of edited to make it look like he was the main source of the error or whether it was just kind of, he was unlucky enough to be also involved in a chain of errors. Mm. Um, but yeah, he had had got, he'd gone from having a very good game where people were raving at him at centre mid. And like, this is a position he should have been playing this whole time. He did try and tell us this, blah, 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 blah. And then like three days later, like, oh, maybe Wenger was right. Yeah, the curious thing about Maitland Niles was that if he just stuck to his right back, I think what was held up um, against him was what Saka did. In that, like, yeah. Saka is not a left back, absolutely mm. not. Nobody has ever claimed this, and nobody ever will. He's a winger at the at, from at the most. Yeah. However, when he was offered the opportunity to play at left back, he just took it between his teeth and just went, yeah, you know what? So it, it's curious that, and also Saka was held up, sort of a bit of an example towards Maitland-Niles. Mm. Um, so whereas Saka kind of realised what Maitland-Niles didn't, which is that playing, even in your not preferred position, is better than not playing at all. Yeah, it, it's, always, it's always that culture of the brass ring. Like You just need to break out, get your foot in the door, and then whatever happens then after that, then you might get used as your replacement. Exactly. It's how like most players break into the first team. But it's what's curious it's about how most it. people become goalkeepers, to be fair. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> she, can tell, she can speak from experience there, I think. <laughs> but what's also curious about like Maitland-Niles is that in the kind of halfback system that uh, Arteta uses mm. him being at right back would have suited him because right backs in Arteta's system don't operate at right back. They operate, yeah, they're wide players. Yeah, they they operate in midfield. Mm. So it's like, all right, then you will nominally nominally be a right back, but mm. you wouldn't actually be fucking playing there. You're only called a right back because we have to field somebody who is designated as a right back exactly you know, and with the way much. like football's played now like most of that play is on the wings now it's not necessarily yeah, yeah. centrally absolutely so in much the same way when Wenger used to field people out wide or in the center and you know it's just like they never stayed there they drifted around and did what they wanted because mm. that's how that's what Wenger believed that a player should do they should be able to drift around and make shit up um, yeah. But the only reason they were fielded as left-sided forward, right-sided forward, whatever, is because the league dictates that you have to nominally have those players there. Yeah. So that's the curious thing. But um, yeah, it seems to be a bit of a renaissance for Maitland-Niles. Mm. It'd be curious to see both the teams in the two pre-seasons huh, um, were quite different. Um, yeah. But both of them were 4 3 threes. Um, mm. Yes, very curious there. Yeah. Um, both of them seem quite good. Very attacking, very uh, yeah. top-heavy, very attacking-orientated. 
and no, it seems quite good. I mean, if anything, also it seems that like whatever funk Lacazette was in prior to uh, the lockdown initiating, he seems to be out of now. That's so good. I'm happy enough about. Hence why I'm curiously optimistic. Uh, That's going to be a curious thing, isn't it? Like, it's going to be what players do kind of come out of it, like, like smelling like a bunch of roses, because, like, it's it it is a massive reset, practically. Like, it's it's a it's a restart after red flag. So it's like, and, and it, it's a new race, to, practically. We have to be able to uh, negate any injuries that are going to come up from this long. Like, I'm kind of looking at Bellerin, right? He was coming back into himself after a very long. Um, injury out like you know he was he was still coming back into it now he's been off i think this could be really good for his rehab um cedric too as well yeah um and he's had the time to work on his sprints and his speed which is something that people were saying and it's it's kind of a well-known side effect of having an acl injury yeah um that your sprint speed has it would be reduced somewhat and that you've got to build it back up again. So this would have been the perfect time for him just to work on sprints. Um, but there's a, you know, time will tell whether that has worked out. Like it could be really unfortunate that like on his first sprint down the wing, he'll pull a hamstring and yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the end like, of that then, yeah. We'll, I, also, we'll also have Tierney back as well. And he'll fall over and hurt his shoulder again, and that'll be. Good. I'm very not optimistic. <laughs> we were saying this before the podcast that Arsenal are kind of the one of the major beneficiaries of the lockdown because, as is often the case midway through a season, Arsenal players drop like flies, and you kind of had this issue throughout the season really uh, since the start that like you just haven't really had like full beans to work with here. So in a way, then you you, you do sound like very cautiously optimistic that this team can kind of like because in a way you are kind of in a chase with teams ahead of you for, for position would you say you're fairly well equipped for it well on paper yeah mm. um whether or not like again we said this in the last podcast but that when you look at the german leagues they're reporting like a 250 percent increase in muscle injuries mm. um we were seeing from matches players were just being subbed on and then immediately getting injured and having to be subbed straight off again. So it's quite curious. Also, one of the things I'm quite curious about is that City haven't played any of those pre-season games. I was about to talk about this, yeah. We have played played two. So I wonder how that factors in. Like, Mm. are they going to go in cold? I severely doubt they're going to go in cold. Pep Guardiola would just not allow that. Yeah. Not playing a game, you know? Yeah. You know, there there is that argument about about ring rustiness, rustiness, if you like. Yeah. Um. I know, like, again, I know we're kind of following your model, but we're like a few days behind you. Yeah. Because uh, we played one game against Blackburn and it went exceptionally well for us. And then I think we're we have another one penciled in, like around the time same time you guys are playing. Uh. So then we're geared up then for the Merseyside derby. So I think like most people are trying to get two games under their belt. But as you said, City not playing is a bit unusual. But like I said, they're their training system could be very hardcore, so maybe they're just too knackered to fucking play play a match, maybe. Who knows? Probably. And also, they've got Laporte back. Yes. Which is That's one of the huge benefits deal. for them. Um, Chelsea, City, somehow a team that can pump a billion pounds into their squad and still wind up reliant on one player. Who knew? Um, because when he got injured quite seriously this season, that kind of when their season almost went to shit. Yeah. Uh, except for the fact that they keep having the field and almost perennially injured Kevin De Bruyne, um, who will have also Kevin, benefited from this yeah. fucking break. 
Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I think everyone kind of has that situation where, like, the lockdown has kind of, like, helped, like, ease a lot of niggling injuries. But at the same time, now that you're asking to kind of, like, to start to start from zero and go to, like, a full sprint now, that's when those kind of things are going to reoccur again or something oh, worse. Yeah. I, I reckon we're just going to be fucking drowning in soft tissue injuries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait to see everyone's uh, fantasy teams oh, after we, fucking we, three we weeks. Should have, we should have um, how many injuries... Um, like you know, betting system. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. We we need a new uh, set segment to replace Fire Wars now that it's gone. So yeah, I I, yeah. I, I could go, get behind this. You can have the ACL little... sniper. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, happy to go with the hamstring sniper, not ACL sniper. Oh yeah. yeah. Hashtag that, that... triggered. <laughs> <laughs> just just a face and shell shock on her at the minute is just uh, something else. Just a. The black soulless eyes is looking back into the past. Those those codeine fueled <laughs> nights. <laughs> oh, I miss codeine. Yeah, we all do. We all do. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, like our preseason, if you can call it that, is just been the one match against Blackburn. There's been no major takeaways from it, really. It's just been business as usual. The one thing I would say is that uh, I think we finally found a role for Minamino. And that was uh, it. Was kind of the reason why he wasn't really fitting in when he when he signed initially. We we knew he was good. We knew he was like a really like trick tricks kind of player. But I think a lot of people had kind of touted him for like a Lalana type player. We kind of playing the central midfield. Cruyff turns nice hair, like the occasional like one two pass that type of deal. He is almost certainly that. But I think from the preseason, what we've kind of seen in identified him as our backup for Firmino, uh, because. He, again, he's not like a traditional like center forward like Firmino, but he does a lot of the interplay really, really well. The names are very similar. This is it. I think that's why we signed him. Like clock went, Firmino. <laughs> yes, that that's that's Japanese for something. Yes, sign him. <laughs> I gotta make it. I gotta keep it easy for the kit man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll find out now in a few months that uh, Minamino gets uh, new teeth as well, and they look exactly the same. It's be perfect. Okay. Neck tattoos. Uh, christened by Allison, the whole thing would be perfect. It'd be great. Um, but yeah, like he, like once he was up in that number nine role, like where Firmino would play, he it's a li- it's almost a like for like change because uh, he do- he's able to play in. I think it was Mane and uh, ooh, I can't remember who's on the other flank. Shakira Oxlade maybe. Alcata was Keita. so he was able to play Keita and Mane both in, and they both scored goals with 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 him playing them through. And then a lot of the young players kind of came in and just started like showing off their skillage. So it was it was a good match for us all the same. Uh, if anything, actually, the the one that we did, we had a training match between our between our own two teams. We split the team in half and uh, had them both playing in Anfield, and that match was just fucking great. Actually, uh, I watched the highlights of it, and we were just going hell for leather. Like it was a real kind of like exercise. It's like in, in, um, in FIFA when the two when you like you know you and your friend can't decide who gets to be Liverpool and so yeah, you both take Liverpool home and away kits. That's that's exactly what it was. Um the, the star of that match was Keita, which is bizarre because again Keita was another player that was kind of like he was there, he was kind of it wasn't really in the conversation because of injuries or just bad luck or whatever or just Wijnaldum was just so good playing that you didn't really you, you couldn't really replace him. But Keita in that match passed to himself, which was very, very impressive. Like, <laughs> he was basically trying to, like, I think the idea was a 1-2, right? But he, played, he passed the ball along, and, like, there was, like, a distracting run from, like, Wijnaldum, I think it was. So Wijnaldum went in as if he was going to receive the ball. Keita went down the other side, passed essentially to himself, skipped past his man, and, and got received the ball then. Uh, and 
it should have been a goal, but Curtis Jones overcooked it. So, which is a shame. But yeah, like honestly, like we've we've shown some really good play. All of our lads look fit. Uh, injury wise, I I know that Klein is is ruled out. Like Klein is not coming back uh, next se- this season at all, uh, and he will probably be moved on to a. I, I can see him playing in the championship next season. Like he, he'll be just even just for to get himself to match fitness, let alone uh, getting back to the Premier League. And uh, we've extended Lallana's deal for another few months so he can lift the Premier League trophy. Because again, I don't know if you know mentioned this, but Jurgen Klopp is madly in love with Adam Lallana. Uh, uh-huh. As we all are, obviously, uh, such a pretty boy, and uh, that's pretty much been it. Like I think Ox has a small muscular tear, but I don't think it would be the Ox unless he does. So we'll, we'll take that into account. I think Salah missed both matches, uh, but I think it's just a precautionary thing. They want to keep him fresh for for Everton. So I mean, that, it'll that's, be interesting hmm. to see. Um, with the kind of fight for the European places, how all the teams have kind of gotten on uh, with their pre-seasons. Like, I, to be honest with you, I don't know how many matches United have played, how many pre-season um, trainings have uh, Burnley done, because somehow they're above us on the table. And uh, it'd be just interesting to see how, like, this is all going to play out. Um, it's yeah. going to be interesting. Like, I... As a neutral, I'm sure uh, between this and the relegation battle, it'll be the most interesting part of the restart because, you know, it is kind of said and done with Liverpool. Yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of like who's going to get into Europe, which was the and the relegation zone, which was the whole point that the league couldn't get scrapped because of mm. the relegation zone. So this needs yeah. to be fixed out. So yeah, I actually have the I have the league table here in front of me, so I, I, I can give a quick rundown of where like the as it were the interesting parts of the table. So obviously we're well ahead with eighty two points. Um, City are on fifty seven with the game in hand. Uh, Leicester are kind of I wouldn't say they're kind of safe. They could fall into it. They're on fifty three points in third place. Then here's the the big scrum, which is Chelsea fourth on forty eight, United fifth on on forty five, Wolves and Sheffield United are both on forty three. Wolves are slightly better goal difference-wise. Spurs then are 8, 41. Uh, Arsenal then a point behind. Uh, then you have Burnley and Crystal Palace on 39. Uh, both have the same goal difference. Uh, Everton are 12th, um, which is uh, bad luck, I think it's fair to say. Uh, they're two points behind Palace. Then you've got Newcastle 13th, Southampton 14th. And then I guess this is the relegation scrap. So you've got Brighton on in 15th on 29. You've got three teams on 27 points, which is West Ham, Watford, and Bournemouth. They're all on goal difference. Uh, and Aston Villa are two points behind them. They have an extra game to play against Sheffield. And then kind of stranded a bit is Norwich on 21 points. But again, this is a practically a reset. So any of those players that are out of form could suddenly bounce back or they figured out why Timo Pukki wasn't playing ball and suddenly he's cured. So like I said, it's, it's, it's all to play for in that sense. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about the European scrap so far because there's a lot of teams in that conversation. And depending on what happens with Man City, they currently have their uh, uh, case going on with the arbitration of sports about their uh, exclusion from the Champions League. And we'll know next month for sure if they're going to be playing or not. So this, this, this race could suddenly like, be blown wide open and fifth place is suddenly a Champions League spot. Um, like I'm kind of inclined to say that Leicester and Chelsea would, would be fine. Like they'd be scrapping for third place. Fifth place is a bit of a pick 'em for me. I can see some a team like Wolves getting it or Sheffield. 
Uh, I, I, Arsenal would be a good show for me, but I, I would kind of like put like Arsenal and United kind of in the same level at the minute. They're very, very similar, uh, like uh, level-wise for me. I can see Wolves just kind of sneaking in there. That's just what I think. So you would give the last place up to Wolves? Yeah, I think so. Like Wolves, Wolves seems to have like okay. The thing about Wolves is they also have Europa League to worry about. But the way the league, the way that's going to work out is it's probably going to be a mini league to fix to to crown a Europa League and Champions League champion. So in a way that they're not going to be distracted with like like playing football on Thursdays. It is just going to be like a game every three days for everybody. So whatever kind of handicap they would have had is gone. Uh, and that works for uh, United as well, actually, now that I think of it. So both, both those teams now don't have to worry about shit like the Europa League. The Europa League will be handled in its own, way, in its own time. Uh, so in that sense, those two teams are kind of... Like, everyone's working on the same level now. So, And quite honestly, I, I, I rate the Wolves team a lot better than I do the United team at the minute. Although yeah. the United team have improved over the season, in fairness to them. So, particularly with uh, Fernandez, I mean, Fernandez really has helped out a good bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. he's really slotted in really well there. Yeah, and the fact is, he's making players around him play better too. Like Fred is now like playing the way he was designed, and Pogba, whenever he gets back to playing football and stop being a massive prick, uh, he'll play better too. So that whole midfield now makes complete sense in that sense. Uh, so yeah, they 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 will start to be in contention. I wouldn't be surprised if United get fifth, really. Because um, I think that's that's accurate for them. Like that fifth is a is an adequate like place for them. And if they get Champions League football, then that's a bonus, really. Uh, and I'm sure their fans will be delightfully reminding their uh, neighbours about this for years and decades to come. Because mm. that's all they've got. Um, I would um, I would like to be able to say yeah, I agree with you with the Wolves, but I don't know which one is which, so um, <laughs> I won't comment on them. That's fine. Um, yeah. I, you've got the likes of Spurs, which I would kind of be wary of just because, you know, they're Spurs. Um, they have Kane returning back from injury, and they also mm. have Son, who had left to go play <laughs> go play in the army. Uh, to go... Uh, <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. To play army boy for a while uh, yeah. in as part of the national service or whatever. So... Yeah. Um, Son is one of the players that I actually rate at at uh, Spurs. So mm. having him back, I think, is going to be a boost, no matter like what what way you look at it. Um, Kane apparently fully fit, but how fit is fully fit Kane? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but he's still got a bang in a penalty that uh, he's won for tripping over his own feet. Um, so he's always going to be dangerous in that regard. Uh, so I could see them pushing, pushing towards. Now their first game back is against Man United, and yeah. one of the funny things is Ali is now banned from that match because of his mm. Corona joke, which, despite mocking Chinese people, was not racist, um, which is why it's <laughs> only the one match banned um, that he got. Um, maybe you know I have a couple of ideas as to why they're. Publicly, it wouldn't be good to battle for any more matches uh, for that. But, um, yeah, I think that they're probably going to have benefited the best out of the clubs in the European spaces. Mm. Uh, just with like those two key players back, they're 
you know, I think they're okay. I, I would say they're going to get the last spot, unfortunately. I, I disagree. I'm very yeah, I was about to say, I think you're being very negative there because I don't see any merit in this Tottenham team at all. Um, oh, well, like, bit... there's never any merit. <laughs> <They'll> never, <laughs> no. They'll never get anywhere by merit, Jonathan. Let's just yeah, of course, clear. of course. Yeah, let's, no, let's be specific about that. What I really mean there is that, like, I, I think we've always had this kind of argument about Harry Kane. And it's kind of like, he is what Steven Gerrard used to be for us back in the day. Um, like everything, whenever Jared was playing, everything had to go through him. And the problem was that uh, we were over-reliant on him and then the rest of the players around him kind of suffered for it. So players like, uh, I don't know, just throw out there, for example, like uh, uh, Barash or Cissé, like they were, they are supposed to be the strikers, but they're not like taking shots because Gerard is the one taking shots, you see. So uh, everything had to go through him and everything had to work through him. So whenever he wasn't on form, the team's not on form. Yeah, well, we've said this before that we've said this before that like the Spurs aren't really a better team with Kane in it. No, because they're I don't so think they are. Upon him. Like uh, there's been a good few seasons where he's gotten injured and their scoring rate has gone up. Yeah, because because everyone else has pitched in. Everyone else is like, oh well, we don't have to pass it to your man anymore. Mm. Um, so like we can express ourselves. Whereas now with Kane back in the squad, it's like. Get the ball to Harry. Yeah, you know? exactly. And he's not they, as good a striker as anybody believe. Everybody believes him. Like if he was Ronaldo, you'd mm. be like, "Yeah, just give the ball to him. He's gonna do something with it." But he's not that good. But yeah. the fact as well, he has a reoccurring injury should be a really like concern to Spurs, especially now in this kind of running, where you do need people who are a hundred percent fit and don't have any issues whatsoever. Which is why you do look kind of look at a team like maybe like Wolves, like they don't have many like nagging injuries in that team or like Man United they have Pogba <laughs> what are you going to do he's not going to play um, easy now Sunis yeah I know but you know what I mean right you know, <laughs> you know what I mean sorry I'm, I'm trying not to get let my gammon show there but uh, yeah. but yeah but like a, a team like Sheffield United who are such a perpetually fit team right a good example they don't have any of those kind of issues or if they are they're able to uh, defend them quite well so when you do have a team like Spurs then who are who essentially their captain is uh, working with a ticking time bomb of an injury, like you can't really push him that hard. So you do have to pick and choose your moments to play him. Do you play him in the big games to potentially get score, to get goals and lead the team, or do you play him in smaller games where it might not be that much of a demand, but he's able to like bully like defenses for easy wins? It's it's a it's a it's a tough one for Mourinho, but I can see Mourinho just being lazy and just picking him out every single time because I think having that central striker suits Mourinho's system a lot better because that's how he always used to play anyway. So it's a bit of a it, it's a bit of a mood point for him regardless. Like even even before the lockdown he was playing Mora in that central position and it just was bad. <laughs> it's just a bad idea. Um overall like so no I I don't think Spurs will get there really. Um I can see them staying eighth. Okay. No, I, I would be happy with that outcome. Yeah. Um I, I don't know what your thoughts on it all, Neil. Yeah, uh, yeah if you're set, I can see seventh, I can see sixth, but like, I, it's I such think, a tough I, one. I think we'll get sixth, Arsenal. I think we'll get sixth. I'd uh, say sixth, yeah. I'd say sixth. Um, if not seventh, like, I, I, I see at least you guys going at least improving on where you were in ninth. Like you, I don't think you'll stay ninth. If not, it's because something has terribly, has, something terrible has happened to the team. Um, 
like you're, you're better than nine to this rate. So in that sense, then I, I don't really see who can drop out of that except for Spurs or maybe Sheffield. But that's that could be mainly because like they fucked up a game or two. The Sheffield were doing great guns beforehand, so they will be in the conversation uh, as with Wolves. So yeah, it, it's a fun battle, really. Um, do we see the likes of Burnley or Palace gate crashing, or a? Uh, would it be oh. funny to just see Roy Hodgson back in the Europa League? Because ah, oh, there's there's a part of me that wants that to happen again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, you can, um, you can you can get back into the Europa League when we get back into the Champions League. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, maybe you can, they can like they can they can kind of slipstream you or something. So when you're climbing up the league, they can just like latch onto you like a limp, like a lampet or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, so I, I guess like our kind of takeaways are like we're we're kind of fancying like the, I think the conversation there was like United or Wolves for that fifth place spot really, which is kind of yeah. where they are at the minute. So no real shockers there, I guess. Although again, Burkbot's been very negative there and thinking it'll be Spurs to get it. <laughs> So hopefully you'll eat your words in a couple of months' time. Here's hoping. Here's hoping, exactly. Um, so let's go further down the, down the table then to the uh, other interesting battle going on. Obviously, from Burnley to Hampton are kind of like, they're relative, they're safe for all kinds of purposes. So it's just scrambling for position there to get a few more, few more um, millions of pounds. I mean, Everton will want to like get out of this scrap fairly quickly, wouldn't they? Like 12th is, for, for a team managed by Carlo Ancelotti and a, and a team that's like dropping like flies already injury wise. Like they've already got four on the casualty list. That's not a good sign for them. Um, especially get like rolling up to a Merseyside derby where like they they'll want to rain in our parade. Let's be fair here. Like a win against us would like like would like reset their season completely. Like the banter machine would go into overdrive, and we'd never hear the fucking end of it. Really. Um, Someone that they have enough players to even play in the fucking game to begin this with. This is it. Like it's it's not looking good. Um, if if the if the reproduction rate is as is as strong as it is, if the R number is uh is as strong as it stays, uh, it's not looking good for Everton. Is all I'm saying. No, absolutely not. Their yeah. fourth and fifth subs are going to be Mike and Tim from row four. <laughs> the cast, the cast of Z cars, uh, yeah. suddenly. Oh yeah, get Timmy Cahill back in. Yeah. <laughs> Timmy Cahill. Oh, he's just broken his shoulder punching a corner flag. <laughs> like a fucking cock. We would have invited Tim Hibbert, but uh, no. Tony Hibbert even. <laughs> but we, we decided not to. I, I, think, uh, I think that ship has sailed. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a fun one. So the relegation scrap really is between six teams, for all intents and purposes. Uh, starting off with Brighton on 29, then we have West Ham, Watford, Bournemouth, Villa and Norwich. Can we rule out Norwich officially? Like, they are, like, six points away from safety. And yeah. have been always kind of at that level all season. Yeah, I feel like... I know they got hit with injuries, like a sledgehammer at the start of the season. And, like, they had done quite well at the start. And then, if, like, I think they were playing with, like, 10 normal starting 11 out injured or something ridiculous one of the matches. Yeah, I, I would hope this time. Yeah, I think so. No. It was something, or maybe might have been seven of their starting eleven. Yeah, out injured or something. It was something ridiculous though, and um, they never really recovered from that. And they mm. haven't played well. Now maybe this break, they've got players coming back. I haven't followed them closely enough to know. Um, 
But um, I have kind of ruled them out in my head that they're they're going down. Same here. I I think there were a couple of extra bodies fit, but that applies to everyone else. Mm. Um, six points in nine games doesn't really sound like a whole lot, but that's under a normal season. We're not. <laughs> this, this is not normal. Could, I'm like, we can apply a number of adjectives to this fucking situa- situation, but normal is absolutely not one of them. Yeah. So in this current um, place with the team that they've got, six points is a fucking gulf. Mm. Uh, and I don't, I'm like, I, I agree with Burke, but I, not only do I have them not getting out of relegation, I have them finishing 20th. I have them at the bottom. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's the way it's gonna go. Like it's it's exactly that point you were making. Like they have got everyone back, but like Villa and Bournemouth have much had much bigger injury crises than they did. So if you're using that argument to say Norwich might be better, well then surely you have to use the same for both of those clubs too. Yeah, as well, um, and also when you look at the players that Norwich have back, are they any good? Well, like they weren't before they got injured. <laughs> <laughs> so, like now that they're back, you're like, yay, we're adequate. Yeah, I think the the one major casualty was Cantwell, really. Yeah. Uh, when when like and much like what Burpa was saying at the start, there it was all the defenders kind of dropping like flies at the one time. Like I think they lost both their fullbacks in the first few weeks, which was the main yeah. kind of like approach for that team. Like they were playing like club like football there. So once the fullbacks went, they didn't have anyone to replace them. And I think they were down to two centre backs. I think actually no, they're down to one centre back at one time. And your man, Alexander Tete, had to f- slot in as centre-back yeah. for a couple of weeks. But that's their fault, really. Like, they didn't really spend that much transfer-wise. They didn't supplement the squad. They had no backup to Puki. So they were strugg- struggling then to get players in. And they kind of still are. Like, they're not really, like... They haven't signed anyone for next season, really. They're happy to just, like, pick up the Premier League money, get relegated, and come back again. Yeah, I think they're just waiting to see what happens to them, you know? Yeah, um, because I, I don't see them making the drop. I don't see them, sorry, beating the drop. No. Um, and I don't think any of their club hierarchy do either. No. And I think they're okay with that. That's a bizarre thing. They, 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 they think they've got the same it's system not, as Burnley. I don't, think I don't think they're okay with it, but I think they're kind of resigned. I think they've come to terms with it. Like, yeah, actually, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, mm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like if you, <laughs> if you jump off a cliff, you know, you, you get resigned to the fact that you're falling pretty fucking quick. <laughs> you're not okay with it, yeah. <laughs> you're not okay that. with it, but like, there's, <laughs> not, there's fuck all you can do about it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so yeah, let, let's 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 address the other teams then. So we, I'm kind of inclined to say Villa might get out of this. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'll disagree with you there, but go. Yeah, yeah keep going, keep going. What I what I was going to say was it's not necessarily because of the, the quality of the squad. It's a lot of it's about Grealish and and, and, and co. Uh, I think they have Tom Heaton back, which is a big deal. Uh, and they've got rid of, like, they've replaced Wesley with a much better striker in Samata. And we know that we, we played against him in the Champions League. He is actually quite good uh, and suits them a lot better. I think the McGinn, difference isn't is. It McGinn, isn't McGinn the keeper? John McGinn, yes, he's back yeah, as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, he'll be back in. So, that midfield now has that, like, dynamic power they had at the start of the season. And so, that's, again, a double uh, boost for them. Bournemouth would be the same. They now have David Brooks back. Uh, who was missing all season, and he was kind of their star. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he was their star player outright, but he was a, certainly a prominent player last season for them, and they've just been missing them really. So I think like, like they, they will be, they could be in a better spot there. I, I'd like to think Bournemouth will 
be okay, but I don't think they will. I think it's the end of the Bournemouth experiment. Um, and on top of that, I would say the other team to go down would be West Ham. I don't see West Ham getting out of this. Jonathan, breaking out the fucking hot takes. We need to get that flame emoji back in here. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like, okay, the only way West Ham could survive possibly is Moisey Shithousery. That's, if that's what you're relying on, then you're not really got to trust in your football team. <laughs> you don't deserve to stay up if you're relying on Moisey Shithousery. Absolutely. Um, now, that being said, I can also see the argument of Brighton going down. Like, they're... They, they I, had reckon, a, I, I reckon Brighton will go down. I reckon it'll yeah. be Brighton, Villa, Norwich. Brighton, Villa, Norwich. Okay. Well, I think I, have I will Bright, go... Brighton, uh, Bournemouth, Norwich. Mm. In that order. As in Norwich down at the bottom. Yeah. No, I think I'll stick to my guns here. I'm going to say Bournemouth, West Ham, Norwich. I say West Ham are finishing 19th. Oh, man, we need to get them flame sirens fucking yeah. firing off and that. That's... <laughs> Uh, that sound you're hearing, by the way, is Gammon going crazy meow, everywhere. Meow, meow. Yeah, I reckon. I actually reckon you get some fairly decent odds on that. I'd say but, so. Um, like it's, it's only purely by fact that like it's West Ham and it's Moisey, like one of those like really like distasteful combination that somehow work, like fucking a prawn cocktail essentially. It's like it's one of those weird <laughs> things that like that is exists, but people can't deny that it exists. It it happens. It's it naturally exists in our in our universe. So surely it oh, must oh, work. What, what happened? The most ridiculous um, shithousery is going on in the Schalke Leverkusen match. Okay. Where um, it's all breaking out. There's a huge fight now. Um, nice. So uh, there was like a friendly drop ball and Leverkusen. A drop ball? Holy shit, it's all breaking off there. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Your man goes to pass it back to the keeper, like you know, and like we'll start to move off again. But the Leverkusen forward intercepted the ball and charged down the keeper. Keeper came out and made a save, but the the whole split thing is breaking out, and that like that was unsportsmanlike. And (sighs) oh, he's talking to the ref. Is he gonna get sent off? Who did forward? Yeah, for intercepting the ball. I love that people. He's gonna get sent off for intercepting what is essentially a loose ball. Yeah. Fuck. Well, he's been talking to his name's been taken. I don't know. No card has been shown just yet. They're now talking to the guy who ran over and started the fight with him. Oh, his name is Am I Right? Uh, All right. Okay, no, his name's just. Oh, no. He's taken the card out and now he's running off in another direction. Oh, I wish I spoke German. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I don't think uh, you're going to replace Cami anytime soon on Soccer Saturday. This is uh, your well. (laughs) Yeah, she actually is somewhat cognizant of what's actually happening on the pitch. Has someone been sent off? I don't know, Jeff. Has it? He's just shown a yellow card to three separate players, none of which he was spoken to, and the boss of Leverkusen. Nice. Not a red card for the boss, but a yellow card for the boss. Okay, and now he's delaying the corner because the save resulted in the ball going out for a corner. And players are now refusing to let your man take the corner. Oh my god, it's hitting off again. <laughs> it's just, this is why this is why we need crowds back, lads, because Oh my god, happened. and he just kicked the corner out of play to be <gasps> sportsmanlike. Oh. Oh Jesus. That was fun. I've no clue what was being said, but like 
<laughs> yeah, I, I bet anyway. none of it was complimentary. None of it. None oh. of it. Oh. None of it. Oh. Her entire world is literally turned upside down. That's, that was embarrassing, to be honest. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we've kind of given our takes there on what we think relegation-wise. But, well, um, one, of the reasons why, no, one of the reasons why I don't think West Ham will, will go on, will, mm. sorry, will go down. And this might lead into our kind of the next bit on this, which is the empty stadiums thing. In that West Ham have a lot of, shall we say, psychologically fragile players. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I do believe the politically correct term nowadays is pussy. Pussy. (laughs) So I reckon like the kind of training ground viable kind of suit a lot of their players like Lanzini as well. Like Lanzini seems to Oh yeah, he's back, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's back as well. Like he seems to any time the crowd even like he could be cheered by like twenty thousand people and then you just have one guy there going, Yo shit And then his game will, then his game will go to pants. Like. And I think that's it's like Wogan I was listening to the Left Field podcast and Wogan on that was um he was he was saying something similar. It's like mm. maybe the players who can't really compartmentalize their poor play will benefit a lot from this. Mm. And he brought up the analogy of the NBA, and he was saying if the NBA playoffs had to be done in kind of empty stadiums, he could reckon like a good few that would benefit quite a lot of their players. Um, and he mentioned like Carmelo Anthony, and he's like, well, he's a fantastic basketball player anyway. But apparently, yeah. in the pickup games during training, he's an absolute fucking murderer. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, maybe that, maybe that was the thing. And it's like when I was thinking about who I thought was going to go down, loads of people actually, funnily enough, said West Ham, and I just wasn't getting it. And I think that was kind of the source of it. I was like, yeah, they're, the crowd get on their players quite a lot, and their players seem to be very, very badly affected by it. Yeah, um, I think Anderson's another one of them. He he doesn't take. He's uh, had a very wo- woeful season. He, he like, does. Yeah. He does have a woeful season. I think it's because he just. The instant he goes on to the pitch, he gets sledged out of it. <laughs> it yeah. Isn't that like so shit that as a fan group, you're so toxic that uh, you make your players worse? So you uh, make your club worse? Oh, see, yeah, see also Millwall for the same example. See also Millwall. But then again, with West Ham, like I think it, it's their proof of the analogy that the fish rots from the head. Mm. In that yeah. they're, they're a pretty toxic club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, are, there are worse. Uh, we will bring up. I think I'll be bringing up one example uh, in our cards, but um, they're they're not. It's not a good environment there. Um, so I reckon, yeah, I reckon that having no, having no crowds there might benefit a lot of their players, and that's why I think that now they might they mightn't be the drop by much. In fact, the proper they might could be goal difference. By, yeah, it might be a big goal difference, but I I don't mm. see them going down. Okay, It'd be interesting okay. to see. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I mean, I'm gonna purposely look out for. West Ham players actually playing well now. Um, I, I'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah, like it, it'd be intriguing to see. Theory. Yeah, if it works, like, like it's also quite like trying to keep, keep into account. This is a Moisey team, so football is going to be at a premium, um, especially when it when anything like him is involved. So when you do have like nothing but playmakers like Lanzini and Felipe Anderson, they're going to see like five percent of the ball. Also, so wait, they're like, wait a minute, don't they have Haller there? Haller, yeah, is their their main striker, yeah. How much did he spend on that guy? It was like 40 million quid. 40 million. It was 40 million, yeah. This season was the season of overpriced strikers. We had Joelinton for 40 million, Haller for 40 million. 40 million. 
That's yeah. actually that's probably wrong. I think that's wrong. I think it was more. It was probably more. Yes. That's so bad that if it is more. And gentle yeah. reminder that Joe Ellington has scored one goal. One. 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 one goal. One. Yes. Frog Prince has scored two more. Say Maximin has scored two more. Like you and look at that, those like I'm sure they're looking at FIFA stats when they're picking their squad, and they're like, "Oh, we are going to lash in the goals here. Look at that speed. Look at that pace. Look at yeah. that." And then, like you see them in real life, and it's just like, "Oh, it's like Scalectric's cars that don't have a slowdown button." Yeah, it really is. I mean, if, uh, if, you're, I talking think... about, if you're talking about players who like could be beneficial in an empty arena, maybe like Frog Prince is one of them. Like Miguel Almiron. <laughs> Those look like somebody who'd be startled by their own shadow. Like he always has a constant like <laughs> look of scaredness in his eyes. Like he's, he's just. I always like, thought he was always uh, looking out for flies. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a... that's good. Although I did say uh, there, the West Ham did have some good banter over the lockdown. You know, mm-hmm. Moise is quite good at delivering vegetables. Yeah, um, that's, that's what he did. He, he delivered like produce baskets to people over the whole lockdown. I've mentioned before we started recording of clubs that are or clubs and people from clubs doing things that are likable and even yeah. though I hate them I'm like like Diego Costa holding up a female player's jersey who is undergoing mm. brain surgery at the minute like no it's like I hate Costa but like that's a nice move um, but Rashford has been doing a lot during this lockdown for his local community and for um, kind of making sure that the kids don't get forgotten, which I think can be the same said for the government here in Ireland, but as well yeah. in the UK, it's kind of constantly being mentioned that the kids' well-being and mental health has not been looked after in this in this lockdown. And Marcus Rashford has been doing bits there, so um, hats mm. off to him. Yeah, um I think Jose was actually working in a food bank for volunteering in the food bank for quite a while as well. Um, which was very I, I do li- I do him. like I, that story is so funny because like paparazzi caught him doing that. Like he and people caught were like, Oh, this that. was a ra- this was like arranged that paparazzi would just happen to be at this food bank and they yeah. would see Jose Mourinho. But then people were like, Look at the state of him. Do you think he actually if you knew <laughs> the paparazzi were gonna be there? <laughs> You'd at least tidy yourself up. He's in this like oversized tracksuit, like yeah. kit. Um, but yeah, no, he, he, uh, he looks like he slept in his clothes. Yeah, Maybe he is. He's probably still staying in a hotel in Manchester. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was actually funny, funnily enough, for places where people leave. Uh, Felipe Anderson. I don't know if you've mm. seen any of his videos. He's quite good at dribbling past his Alsatian. <laughs> um, that's good so yeah but he, he apparently li- he lives in an apartment that's the size of a fucking runway I, d- I don't know what aspect ratio he's got his phone or any of the cameras set up but his apartment looks fucking huge <laughs> so that's the benefits of living and playing for West Ham I guess <laughs> if that's if that is an advantage living in a big empty yeah. house in London wherever he is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but yes, no, actually, let, let us be nice for a while and let us say well done to any footballers or anyone in the football world who's chipped in to help out the community because, like, you guys, you lads have, have been born off your trees. You only have one role in this world, which is to play football. So doing something nice for a change is, is yeah. a benefit to us all. Like Kyle Walker making sure that his local sex workers never... Absolutely, absolutely. Like, that man is a never feminist icon. Been. 
yeah. yeah the man is a, a hero of the feminists worldwide like he is you know, he is the, like i especially love the feminist part of going to his mom for dinner and breaking the lockdown rules in order to do so because that mm. mother would have no other better things to be doing than cooking yeah. her adult son food <laughs> or sir yeah. jerry are scoring his uh lockdown hat breaking trick. hat trick <laughs> <laughs> you got a minor hustle and um, you got a minor hustle so um yeah i suppose we wrap up this kind of like this uh preview of like of the premier league with a uh, quick glance to the championship because stuff is, that that's restarting as well uh, next week uh, with obviously big ramifications for the premier league as it stands uh the teams that will be going up will be leeds and west brom uh leeds are leading Bromby by one point again we, we've spoken a little bit about why or at least from my point of view why i want to see Leeds back in the Premier League uh, not necessarily because it's Leeds it's because it's Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa and I just want to see him happen in the Premier League like it's just it, it's, it's one of those like bucket list things that every football nerd <laughs> would potentially want to see because that like, like Bielsa does make really filthy football and it just it would suit the Premier League so much now to have a really dirty team playing like just very like sloppy yeah, we don't sleazy have- football we don't have Stoke. We don't have Stoke. Stoke will be in my conversation soon because uh, there are things happening down there as well. And I, I do mean down because uh, it's looking very possible. <laughs> They're uh, back off the fucking Mordor, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even even deeper than that, potentially. Yeah. Uh, West Brom are uh, second, as I said. They are Slavin Bilic's team. And they are, they are pretty much the best team in the league. But they like it's only by virtue of the fact that they have so much experience in the team. Uh, but they've been kind of populated by like good young players here or there. So you have like a good player like Sam Field or uh, Romain Sires in like just doing bits in the midfield, and that's what kind of gets them through. They have a good decent goalkeeper in Johnston. Uh, Charlie Austin is there, and um, I think he's a, the league's top scorer. So that's what's been getting them through. They're just a decent team, but they're they be one of those teams, as is often the case with West Brom, that are good in the Championship but shite in the Premier League. So uh, it's kind of a uh, kind of a point of this exercise getting promoted in the first place. The playoffs, <laughs> the playoffs is where the interesting part is. Um, Fulham are currently third with 64. Sorry, not Fulham, beg your pardon. Scott Parker's Fulham is third <laughs> on 64. Uh, it's a bit of a scrap then after that because we have Brentford and Nottingham Forest on 60. Uh, so they're, I suppose, comfortably in that position. Then we have, uh, I think... Seven teams scrapping for sixth place. So we've got Preston North End on 56, Bristol City on 55, Millwall and Cardiff. Cardiff without Neil Warnock, by the way, so they're actually better, um, with 54. Blackburn and Swansea. not managed by Tony Soprano's mother. Yes, you want some. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, there are... I can't remember who's there now, but uh, I'm sure it's someone who actually knows what football is. So they're on 54 at the minute. Uh, Blackburn and Swansea then on 53. So they're the teams they could adequately say are in the, play, pro, the playoff scrap. But there's still plenty of games to go. So a team like Derby, Wayne Rooney's Derby, uh, they're 51 points. And QPR, who I think have no money, uh, are on 50 points. So they're like... Uh, Wayne Rooney's Derby, like, hmm. you know, they could you know, get into a playoff position and then... Um, get promoted and oh my god it'd be amazing only for like in two seasons time FIFA to come down on their illegal um, transfers workings yes. and for them to be sent straight back down to League 3 Is I think they're going to get stuck yeah they're 
Uh, going by how the lockdown is going, no, there won't be a League 3. <laughs> <laughs> League 3 is fucking dead and buried at this rate. Um, but yeah, uh, I can see what you mean with Derby. Like, I think they are getting stung by FFP next season, I think, because they're like they're, the, the deal they're doing with Rooney is like put them in massive debt. Uh, yeah. But then again, that's going to be a story for most like teams in the championship now. They're all going to be like losing FFP at this point. Uh, in terms of relegation stuff, I'll just quickly breeze over this. Barnsley and Luton are probably going down because that's kind of their nature. Uh, Charlton, I'll just give them a quick shout out. They're on 39 points. They have had their third takeover of the season. Um, they, they were taken over by some sort of consortium from the evil Belgians, Du Chalets. Uh, and then the person that took over the consortium said, eh, yeah, I'm going to sell up now. And then he sold up to uh, an investment uh, group from the uh, from London. So Charlton are now kind of like, as we're locally owned, if you like. Uh, actually, the guy that bought them in between was a fellow called Lawrence Bassini, and he drove Watford into the ground years ago. And uh, the gig about him was that he was going to be the guy to take over at Bolton uh, when they were like, like looking in the barrel of the gun. And even Bolton fans were going... Do you know what? We'll actually just take extinction. We don't want this fella Bassini <laughs> in the place. And like, I remember watching the interview of this was White Lightning interviewing Bassini on the phone and quoting uh, some Bolton fans saying, anyone but him. And he's going like, well, these things are all in the past, you know, like uh, mistakes were made. And, uh, you know, the fact that my, uh, ex- my license is now back renewed after eight years being banned, it's completely coincidental. You know, I love football, really, oh and I want him. Yeah, there's real kind of, like, whitewashing of it all. Um, but, like I said, Charlton could get back into it. Uh, well, I say they won't. I think they're well and truly fucked because their one good player, uh, Lyle Taylor, is refusing to play for Charlton now. Uh, primarily because uh, there's been a massive contract uh, shenanigans happening all season, again, because they've had no money. Uh, and now Lyle Taylor also doesn't want to put himself at risk from COVID-19. Because again, he's got like notions of getting to going to a bigger club, um, and granted, clubs are actually interested in him as well. So he's trying to protect his health so he can get signed by another team next season, and so he doesn't get COVID. Um, it's 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 fascinating logic there from Charlton. Again, no, it's not. It, it says a lot about Charlton how much of a basket case they are. That the third most interesting thing about the club is that they're managed by Lee Bowyer. <laughs> So it's uh, it, a man it's, whose only interesting thing is the amount of times he's gotten his nose broken. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Now, that being said, though, Charlton could get very well get out of this mess and they could drag in quite a few prominent teams down into League One. Uh, Hull City are like our closest to them. Uh, they sold off their star man, Jared Bowen, uh, to West Ham and have just been nosediving ever since. Um, wow. Wigan have had nothing going with them all season they've been kind of like flirting with relegation uh, Jonathan Woodgate's Middlesbrough potentially getting relegated as well uh, they have Robbie had no Dean helping out there yeah exactly <laughs> uh, they've had no money this season so they've had to like sell a lot of their like star players and they're relying on a lot of youth players at the minute and they're all just like completely out of their depth God love them mm. so they could potentially get relegated Huddersfield remember them uh, they're looking at the at relegation as well. Uh, they're only three points away from safety. And a little team called Stoke City are just on the cusp of that relegation scrap. Oh, I'm smiling. Um. Mm. <laughs> yes. Very the, much so. the, 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 the benefit for them is that their goal difference is actually quite good. 
But like I said, a three point swing, four point swing, and that all changes. So, yeah. uh, and of course, the reason Look, I say I, that. I do think it is about time that the last remaining Neanderthals did get wiped out. I know. <laughs> Natural know, selection. You know, yeah. A, you know, as a biologist enthusiast, like I obviously would be frowned upon in the rest of the scientific community for saying something should go extinct. But um, yes. Yes, Stoke City, I, you know, I think it's fair game. They've refused to evolve, so now they have to just go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> they refuse, yeah, exactly. If you don't want to live in the 21st century, then the 21st century will not live with you. That's how it mm-hmm. works. Um, it's also been compounded by the fact that, like, uh, Stoke City might not have a manager, considering that Michael O'Neill, who gave up the Northern Ireland job to finish the season with Stoke because of the lockdown, uh, now has tested positive for COVID-19. An hour mm-hmm. before they were supposed to play Man United in a friendly. <laughs> Bad luck there, lads. <laughs> Not going to lie. Uh, but like I said, they, they have a contingency plan. Their assistant manager will uh, manage them for the next week or two, I think, until Michael O'Neill is, is deemed to be fine, I guess. Uh, or maybe he might just be kept in bubble wrap until the season ends. At which point, Stoke will probably get relegated. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like uh, League One has been decided-ish. Commentary and Rotherham are promoted, and then the playoffs will actually happen. So, uh, bad luck, Sunderland. You've actually missed out. Sunderland will stay be in League One next season. Um, I think that's, this is our prompt to celebrate and laugh at them because, man, the next season of the Netflix show is going to be so much funny, isn't it? Just something. <laughs> four episodes. Four IP. Fifth episode, scene missing, COVID-19, and then the sixth episode <laughs> is where they're going like, right, lads, let's get enough for one of the return of League One. We're going to get promoted. Oh, no. <laughs> and that's the end of the show then they're, they're going to certify the extinct from that um, okay so we'll uh, continue the show then with our favourite segment and yours The Hand of Cods this fella Ronaldo is a cod I don't care what he's going I thought he, yeah. he was fucking dreadful. Lord Lizzie, he's a guy who ran away and left his wife for a young one. So, um, Various uh, topics on my list here, but Burkbot, I think we'll start with you first. Uh, you've gone for an old uh, favourite for this week's nomination, haven't you? Uh, yes. Um, for a couple of reasons that all kind of tie in a couple of cods together. Okay. So, um, I'm going with the FAI. Uh, <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. You um, unpatriotic sow. <laughs> Uh, over 400 days after um, John Delaney was removed um, forcibly from the building. Forcibly uh, <laughs> uh, you up for work. He's just like, John, this isn't your desk anymore. <laughs> no, it still has my name on it. Look, I wrote it down on the desk. I've brought campaign, lads. You can't stop me. Um, oh my, I fucking oh made the FAI. All <laughs> my cash is still in the desk drawers. <laughs> um... They actually finally advertised the position um, to be, uh, you know, for people to apply for CEO, it. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, we've got like an interim, uh, Gary Owens is working there as the, the head of the FAI at the minute with yeah. uh, Niall Quinn as the assistant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to the, the kind of, that kind of brought them back to my attention. So I was like, oh, well, actually, like, what, what is going what is on? Like, we, all, yeah. we all know that um, we have uh, no League of Ireland football. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, had some... Uh, teams coming out saying that they're probably not going to be able to survive this whole uh, stoppage and they're looking for the FAI to provide them with some amount of cash to kind of make up players wages. What has been kind of announced today is that the Players Association have gone to the FAI to request this money that the FAI said yeah you could have this money. Um, Oh no you want it now? Mm, No. And the players, so there's some players at some clubs, the clubs and players have not been named themselves, who have not been paid since the start of lockdown, Mm. um, which is absolutely shambolic. Clubs are not in a position to pay these players, and it is actually a condition of um, any League of Ireland team that they cannot have any outstanding fees to players before the resumption of the league, uh, or for the start of a new season. Mm. So... As things stand, football is just gone because we teams cannot restart if they owe players money and they can't then just cancel the league with people being owed money because they won't be able to start a new league. Yeah. So the FAI are pretty much cornered into the fact that they're going to have to pay these clubs to keep them alive if that's what they want. And I don't understand why any national association of a football you know, a football would want to, I will just let the league die, we'll start it again, you know. And then that brings me to their idea of, you know, maybe we could get a bit of money this way of combining the League of Ireland with the Northern Irish League. And in the week that that is being bandied about by the FAI is, maybe we'll do this. Uh, a little club that, um, that I would have heard of, uh, Linfield FC, um, mm-hmm. or, or Linfield United. Or, uh, Linfield FC, yeah. Got it right yeah. Uh, they have announced their <laughs> new, new jersey, um, <laughs> which will not go very well if it was to be played against any of the League of Ireland teams, which is uh, an orange sash. Um, jersey, which just even having the FAI saying, yeah, that'll be fine, that'll be fine, just shows how fucking incompetent they are um, mm. at, at football, at life, at, at, um, at yeah. existing. Um, so that, that, that is my card. I have it's to say, it's a gigantic UVF uniform, as it is, yeah. Up there. But it's not even like. Orange and purple is a disgusting colour combination. Yeah, it's a UVF colours. They're a disgusting organisation. But, like, you're very... I don't know. I just think it's disgusting. Right. Whatever about the sash part, right? I'm not entirely... I I don't... I'm not from the area. I've never lived in the area. I, you know, I don't have strong ties to any religion, but I suppose that doesn't matter if I'm from the Republic. They'll hate me anyway. Exactly. Um, But... But... The, the idea of the actual jersey design is disgusting. Yeah. Like, it's not even like, oh, you know, it's disgusting. Like, I can admit, like, United's jersey for this season, apparently, or the, what has been leaked as the new United jersey, 
looks lovely. And I hate United, but it's a nice looking jersey. Mm. Uh, this, this is just a horrible jersey. Just horrible. Everything about it is horrible. And the FAI should be ashamed for even considering joining in with that league. Like, it, it just seems like a massive fuck you, really. Like, if, if, if you saw, like, compared to, like, what Bowles are doing with their, with their jersey, like, actually making, like, a, quite a nice statement and saying, like, oh, we're an inclusive group. And then Linfield go, ha ha, no, take that, you Fenian bastards. Look at this. Like, I f- feel like they've had this design sitting in the closet. And then as soon as the FAI jump in and say, well, maybe we could join with the Northern Ireland, they're like, no, we have this. <laughs> Yeah, just a, it should have, it should have just had like a big right hand going "fuck you, Niall Quinn" at the on the fucking front of it. Maybe that's their home kit. I don't know. Fuck but all tags. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Like, pretty much, yeah. Like it's such it was such a horrible idea. Like Linfield were very close to being my cards for that exact reason. But I'm glad it got mentioned because Jesus Christ, like whoever yeah, thinks that's a like, good idea. They- they were going to be my soul card, uh, but then the FBI just came out with more. And I was like, oh, I can actually tie these two things together. So mm. there you go. Win-win. Yes. Um, I'll jump in there with my one. Um, obviously, uh, current affairs have been quite prominent lately. We all know what's been happening mm. in, uh, in, in America and right around yeah, the world. It's, it's, it's on fire. It's on fire. <laughs> um, all of it is on fire. But uh, it's all for good. Statues. <laughs> especially everything yeah uh, but there is a, a very valid reason for it it's because yeah. there is a very prominent movement right now that is hopefully going to do some very positive change uh, and obviously we all very much are in favour of it if you like without like uh, drifting too much into politics but uh, what I wanted to bring up here was the Ballad of John Barnes okay so <laughs> now it's not now, John Barnes. I, I have a two pronged approach with this, which is appropriate considering what got, got shown on his phone. Um, I have a two pronged approach to John Barnes in that it's yeah. John Barnes himself, and it's also the usage of him by the media. So, obviously, the race row has kind of accelerated with what happened to George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, because whenever like a race row happens, and it happens like six times a year in the football world, especially when like something someone videotapes a someone's calling someone the n-word or raheem sterling has an opinion or in the case or of does mark anything Sam- or does anything or when mark sampson opens his dumb fucking trap all of this <laughs> comes up right and it's it's a very repetitive cycle where they will the, the mainstream media will have a good look at it and kind of cross-examine themselves and say well were we in the wrong with reporting this we urge we will encourage ourselves to do more to try and uh, give, be more inclusive. We're going to have more black and Asian members uh, come in and we're going to be uh, more equal. We're going to have more women on, the, on panel shows and we're going to all do this. And everyone is happy for a couple of weeks and then it goes back to normal. Now, again, protests are still going on. Fires are still being burnt and cenotaphs are still being pissed on in the UK. So hopefully some change is actually being made. But when it comes to media coverage of it, it doesn't look like it's any different. Because mm-hmm. the same cycle happens with these race rails and when it comes down to football, because football's a big kind of like window into society, really. And everyone's always said this. And when they're doing that, they have to get someone in who has experienced racism uh, in a way when it was at the height of it, if you like, or when people were, were more aware of it. And every single time... People it's are more open Barnes. about it, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Like, it was just... I wouldn't even, like, say... Yeah, open about it is the right way to say it because it's just the fact that, like, it was there. Everyone knew it was there. And because, like, it is... They're quite open about it right now. They're quite open about it now, yes. But what I'm saying is that... in defiance to the people who are condemning it. 
Whereas yeah, exactly. before you didn't have the people openly condemning it. Mm. So it was just kind of done and no one said anything about it uh, or like no one kind of made these movies. It was underlying. Like it was always there. It's just been brought to the forefront because people now have a anti-racist opinion and somehow that's offending people that they're anti-racist. Yeah. I don't know how that works. By all means, if you're one of the Gammon Brigade, get in touch and, uh, and explain yourself. Uh, I don't know, maybe someone, some black person push you downstairs when you're five or something and you can, you have to go and see a therapist, right? That's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> go and sort that out yourself. But what I wanted to bring up was that they had to bring, as an expert, like in the same way that like every news coverage has to have an expert in something, the expert in racism is apparently John Barnes. Yeah, they just wheel he, it out. Like, it, they every do. Time. And, it's really pa- and it's really sad because... Like, when you do listen to him, like, he is being very, very positive, but almost, like, overtly positive, if that makes sense. As in, he's actually, like, uh, rationalized racism, where, yes, he did have to live through this, as did other players like Cyril Regis and Des Walker and a lot of other players that would have been the first black member of a team. Uh, And they would have had, like, dogs abuse from their own fans. That's disgusting. Of course it is. We all know it is. But to keep having John Barnes over on TV to try and make the same salient point that Britain isn't a racist society or it's not as bad as it used to be, that just undermines the entire anti-racist argument because all you're doing is you're saying, well, it was worse in the 80s. It's like that whether it's worse in the 80s is a moot point. The, the, fact, the fact that we're still talking about this and it's not got any better should kind of like prove to you that maybe the counter-argument you've been having hasn't been that effective, that there isn't been enough for for the black and Asian communities to get into stuff like football. The, every sport's having this conversation now where they're looking at each other and going, have we been, like, are we institutionally racist? And the answer for the most part is yes. They don't didn't know any better back in the 60s and 70s because that's what the way they were indoctrinated. But now with, like, decades of hindsight and decades of proof of, like, all these things happening, like, events and incidents happening worldwide – this is the time to start like properly looking at what you're doing and saying, can we make do things better and yeah, bring it on the people. NFL are doing that. It, well, yeah, I, I, even the NFL are doing that. And I, I didn't really buy that myself. Like even looking at it going like they, they, like, like, the, the, it's, he's notoriously like static and silent mm. head of an organization like the NFL. Yeah. And for him to just turn around and go, look, we were wrong for him to, the fact that he admitted he was wrong Mm. I think that's the thing. He's not. He didn't come out and just plat, try and paper over with platitudes, going, "We'll yeah. do more." Uh, the Rooney Rule will we'll kick in our own version of it. So, yada yada yada. All this bullshit. Yeah, yeah. He just turned around and went, "Oh, we're actually wrong." And he specifically referenced, referenced as well the whole Kaepernick thing as well, saying, "Oh, we were wrong in our stance on that as well." So the mm. fact that he admitted that he was wrong is why. Like, had he not done that, I'd be alongside you, going. I don't really fucking buy that for a second. I think he's talking out as who. Um, but no, the fact that they went, no, we were wrong in how we handled this. Mm. You know, much like the whole Drew Brees thing as well, when he started yes. shouting on about people protesting the national anthem and then turned around, turned turned away, and people had sat him down and gone, right, take a seat through. Here's why what you said was wrong. Mm. And then he turned around and went, <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Now, the reason why I don't buy Drew Brees is one because Breeze never admitted he was wrong. He just said, oh, no, I know more, and maybe it's not as clean-cut as I thought it was. Yeah, he didn't. He it wasn't was absolved, yeah. He never said he was wrong, and that's why I kind of 
That's why I buy the NFL one. And it's unfortunate because, like, if you're ceding the moral high ground to the fucking NFL, <laughs> yeah. something's gone wrong there. Yeah, you are morally subterranean. <laughs> I see. I, I do see where you're coming from. Uh, but yeah, like, it, it's kind of interesting. You kind of like make that point because the, the real like with people like Breeze and a few other people who've kind of like opposed the whole that whole movement is out of a position of ignorance. And I think this is where it is. It's in, in a way, I'm trying to rephrase this the right way, but it's an ignorance of John Barnes, if that makes sense. Like, yes, he has lived through racism, but the reason he's lived through is because he's rationalized it. You don't, you shouldn't have to rationalize something like that. Like if you're, a, if you're a gay man, you shouldn't have to rationalize homophobia. If you're trans, if you're a trans man or woman, you shouldn't have to rationalize transphobia. It shouldn't happen in, a, in, a, in an ideal society. So to bring on somebody who has basically come to terms with the fact that people will say the N-word at will, that's bad. You yeah. shouldn't keep... If you're trying to have a counter-argument, stop drawing attention to it and stop having this person come in who is essentially, oh, like, has accepted this, that, it, that it's commonplace. I think it's actually kind of deliberate because hmm. he'll come out, he'll shout out some platitudes and yeah. then other black players will turn around and go, John, shut the fuck up. Like, man, yeah. like you shouldn't have to put up with this. But it's it's you know the um in RTE you've got the balance everything has to have um a view from either side <laughs> yeah and yeah BBC it, it are same way like, yeah and it, I I think RTE can go bring it to extreme mm. levels but like maybe maybe the BBC have also kind of slipped into that category as well but like um. Yeah, it just seems bizarre. It's like, right, we're going to need to bring out a racist accepting black man so that we can balance up this argument that racism is bad. And it just feels like they have to, like, like John Barnes is probably such a minority, like in such a minority group that he's mm. the only one who can make himself available at short notice to come on this t- those, you know, box pops and yeah. get his opinion across. Um but that's why we hear from him so often, I suppose, on it. This is yeah, it. Like, he's, he's been kind of treated as a media czar in a way because yeah. he's been able to, he's very articulate in describing racism, but that's not really the point. It's a point that you're using him in the wrong way when there are like other, other voices out there that you can use. And in a way, there are a lot more angrier voices. And in a way, that's kind of what you need to hear right now. You need to hear from those people who aren't happy and but, see their point of view why. But they, they bring up Barnes because he, he's basically a suck it up and get on with it. Yes. Kind of guy. That's it. Whereas yeah. that's exactly what the pr- primarily white media want to mm. hear. Yeah. They don't want to hear that everything's okay. They don't want to hear the angry people saying, you need to change your behavior. Yeah. They want to hear John or Barnes, which is just get on. Your with. office needs to be more inclusive, which means that, you know, you might have to share a desk with someone or, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it is bizarre stuff <laughs> like that. That, mm. like, people will say like, you know, oh, we've got to have a more diverse clientele or we've got to have a more diverse um, uh, readership. So they have to get in more diverse writers, which means the people who already have jobs at that at that TV program, at that newspaper, they're going to have to work with new people and that probably scares them. Exactly. This is it. Yeah. Barnes, Barnes pushes a status quo that they want mm. to maintain. And that's yeah. why they do it. That's yeah. why they have. That's why he's there for everybody. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's actually kind of like more magnified now because there are a lot more voices in that in the community now that are, if any way, like a bit more effective than John Barnes at exposing stuff like racism. Like Raheem Sterling, 
as much as I don't like the man personally, he is a brilliant voice for people to listen to. Like, you need to listen to him. I, I'd even throw in the likes of Lewis Hamilton, like, even for, for in a Formula One sense. Don't like the guy, but his points have been very, very valid. The guy, but yeah. You know, and he's right. He's right in what he's saying about certain things. Like we don't like him because he. It's not. It's not like a, a race thing that we don't like him. It's a personality thing. But when it comes to a race thing, like obviously that shouldn't be a a, 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 a comparison. You know, uh, I'd even throw out people like Patrick Van Anholt, who over the lockdown has been very, very vocal about racism issues, and he's outright been confronting people like like weapons like Katie Hopkins about being hate mongers and like being like really really powerful about it uh liam senior was another one uh, he made I'll a, jump a in great with, article go ahead um, sorry. I'll, sorry i'll just jump in with any aluko who who was you know featured yes. as a cod of mine a few weeks ago but she has um been very vocal about the racism in football that she has come across um mm. and not always but most of the time combined with sexism as well yeah. um but now i was I had her as a cod because of her class's comments about people on furloughed. Um, but at the same time, she has driven this conversation in the women's sport. And mm. um, she, as of this week, got a, an apology from Nikita Paris, who yeah. uh, famously, uh, and I, I think uh, Leanne Sanderson said it really well that I asked if she was in a, an interview, she kind of gave it her opinion on it that, a lot of the girls heard the racist comments being made and did nothing. Mm. And Leanne Sanderson stood up for Aluko. She, she herself had gotten some racist comments from Mark Sampson as well, but she said they weren't more so racist, more so, you know, it was kind of stereotypical, kind of comparing her to a, st a lazy stereotype. Yeah. Um, whereas Eni Aluko then got more of the abuse maybe because she stood up to him she that's what she, like Leanne Sanderson had kind of suggested as a reason for it why it's mm. kind of concentrated on any um and then you have the likes of Spence who wasn't picked um after she stood up for any Luca at a training ground kind of argument with them at uh, Nikita Paris um in her next match when she scored she witnessed this happening she went and ran over to Mark Sampson and gave him a hug as kind of a show of support but she has kind of, she's come out in her a letter recently, the kind of a, an open letter to everyone kind of saying that that was 100% wrong, but it came from a place of, well, if I don't do this, I'm getting cut from the team. And that mm. is a horrible position to be put in because if you want to play for your country, you've got, you know, you've got this idea. You shouldn't endorse a racist to do it. Exactly. And, you know, so she put herself out there and she's apologized for her actions and, it was it was nice to see that um, from someone who any Luca kind of publicly not named but very much indicated as being someone she was really disappointed in. Like she was mm -hmm. kind of like I can take it from some of the white girls not sticking up for me because they don't really understand what's going on. But for someone like Nikita Paris who would have also endured racist abuse. Well, yeah, um, it, it yeah just on that. There's no no one I don't think has come out in in my line. Uh, of you know, women's football to kind of in favour of racism, um, mm. like John Burns. So I, I have no nothing to add on that on that part. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you you might have more to think about with John Burns because in this week where he was carted out pretty much every day to be have to do a TV piece, um, he made two boo boos on a 
on his, uh, well, one on social media and then one on TV. So while he was making these salient points on racism and like we should all try and live in an inclusive society, he posted a uh, an inspirational quote or like some sort of like joke about Donald Trump, um, and it was like some just twisting his words, whatever it was, and it was a quite amusing thing. Except the way he did it was he did it as a screen capture of his phone, of his camera roll, and uh, as a lot of very observant people noticed that a few flicks down in the middle of it is a picture of some porn. Uh, Specifically, uh, yeah, specifically uh, one uh, white woman getting, uh, let's just say, acquainted with two uh, black men, which is uh, it, 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 from both uh, avenues, let's just say, being very aware yeah. of the woman in the call. Um, so that is, <laughs> that's about as nice as I can put it, really, um, for all of our potential female viewers as well. So... Uh, <laughs> To be fair to Barnes, he took it in his stride where he basically said, yeah, I don't know how to edit pictures, so I'll just take the hit on this one, lads, fair enough. Um, you know, I'm a man, I have a cock, what else is going to happen? Um, yeah, the second I mean, thing... We don't want to edit pictures, just close down your porn tab. <laughs> exactly. And the second part was then, right? Um, and this, this was a bit more insidious, right? Because this was on the BBC and they have John Barnes like, talk, kind of talking to the camera a bit. Now, Behind the curtain, for and I, I kind of noticed this from that they do a lot of web calls now on like like the sky and all that to replace their kind of regular viewing. And what they do is they have a tech guy come in to set up everything for the, the talent, if you like, and then head out basically. So they say, Okay, John, you're gonna stand here, here's your webcam, here's your mic, blah blah blah. Off I go to like my next fucking client. And the curious thing was that they stand up, they stood John up beside his bookshelf of like very interesting books and videos and all that. But the one on the right for, right uh, center ground is all his porn DVDs. Including oh my one, God. Including one just called Sex Slaves, which is just... Oh, like, dear Jesus. You can't make this shit up. Like, poor John Barnes has got it in the neck this week. Because not only that, like, again, the one thing I did mention out of all this was the fact that he caught the ire of Celtic fans were basically saying that he got sacked because he was black. And Celtic fans go, we're not racist, Rangers is racist. It's like, no, lads, you, you've completely missed the point. <laughs> it's institutional racism. That's, that's, this is the whole message we're having to, to tell to you white people here. Oh, um, so like, it, it's just been, it's been a week for John Parents. Uh, and hopefully I would ask the mainstream media, maybe ask someone like Liam Senior instead. Or maybe get any Aluko on. Get Alex Scott on. Somebody just a different voice and just leave John Barnes alone. Let him wank in peace for the love of God, because I'm sure he's sick to death now from talking about racism for the 1000th time about how everything is actually fine. And everyone's just a great bunch of lads. And speaking of a great bunch of lads, Neil, I come to your car. <laughs> what a segue on a similar vein, Neil. Uh, oh, I believe yeah, you have a certain London club uh, on your chopping block tonight. Absolutely. It's the blue part of, Tiny, t- tiny blue part of London, which is yeah. My card this week is Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a week and where this is-, this is also deals the amateur race thing as well. But um, yes, the club in pretty much the space of a week prominently voiced support for the Black Lives Matter movement, and then simultaneously had to issue a public apology after an independent inquiry found the whole Gwyn Williams racism. Thing whereby he was basically subjecting 
his black youth team players as young, some as young as 12 um, to unbelievably explicit racist abuse um, to the point where one of them's actually got PTSD as a result of it. Fucking hell. Um, so that, that's basically it. So they issued a public apology for it. It was back in the 80s, 90s. They shouldn't really have to bail it. It's all new here now. What they didn't actually mention is that at the time, behind the scenes, they got a team of specialist lawyers who were working on their behalf to fight civil claims from players who basically just said that the player, the club created an environment where racially abusive behavior was normalized. And uh, this is the legal here, because I'm looking it up here. So the, 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 the legal firm, uh, their previous uh, clients included the Roman Catholic Church, uh, <laughs> defending them from the child sex abuse scandals. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And um, hang on, uh, there, there's another one. They've got other ones. Oh, what? Yeah, Kyo's is the name of the thing. Oh, yeah, the crew, Alexander, the, child, the sex abuse scandal there as well. Fuck. Um, for Steve Walters, who was basically a, according to the TV, yeah, according to the police, was a unbelievably prolific child sex offender. So they basically were defending the club from the victims stating that, you know, you should actually be directing your cases against him himself rather than to the club. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and then they made the horrible fucking uh, point uh, in air quotes there that um, if they were sexually abused as children, they shouldn't have waited until they were in their 40s before raising cases about it. Oh, so, fuck off. So it couldn't have been that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's basically, yeah, at least 10 former players now in their former 40s and 50s um, are pressing charges. Uh, one of them said, claimed that Williams' youth team was basically a mini apartheid state. Jesus. Fuck. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, including, actually, funnily enough, Jody Morris, who's currently Frank Lampard's number two, may be called, may be ha- may be called to give evidence about this as she came through, as he came through the youth system at that time. At the time, he did, yeah. So, um, yeah. And also, they've not offered individual apologies to any of the players. They've mm. just issued a general one. Um, and Bernardo's, as well, the child's charity, uh, they've, they've conducted their own independent inquiry as well. And, uh, yeah, it's quite fucking horrible. He was known to greet the young black players with the uh, term, uh, who were you robbing last night? Mm-hmm. He oh referred to three black youth team players as the three degrees. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And this is the person who was like their coach, you know? Yeah. yeah. And these are, these are kids, like these are, these are 12 or 13 year olds. Like again, we, it kind of gets back to that point there. Like at that point, you're either like, if you want to be a professional footballer, this is the stuff you have to go through. Yeah, you know. absolutely. He did the Ron Atkinson thing of having Blacks v. Whites training matches. Fuck um, off. Oh, that's yeah. horrible. Absolutely. And then, funnily enough, uh, a mixed race player on his first day, when he was doing the Blacks v. Whites uh, training matches, he turned around to the guy and goes, here, you get to pick. You pick which team you want to play for. I'm a bit uh, flabbergasted because... I knew you had looked into this with regards to it being your COD, so I kind of stayed away from any yeah. of the 
reading mm. about it and I feel like with <laughs> my mental health needed to be kept away from that because that <laughs> is harrowing. That's yeah, pretty it's, bad. It's unbelievable. The there's a huge athletic um article on it. Like it goes on for fucking pages upon pages. Um but yeah, it's it's just it's just really, really horrible, you know. And also the whole thing about Chelsea going out and supporting Black Lives Matter when they've got such a systemic mm. racism problem yeah. um, in the club as well is quite fucking ridiculous. Like they've never I, like this report has come out in the in the same week that like I had to begrudgingly congratulate Chelsea from winning the Super League and then donating their prize money to a uh, domestic abuse refuge and mm. I was like oh isn't that such a class act like well done well done Chelsea on that and yeah. then yeah this is happening with the men's team and you know has been happening and has been ongoing for such a long time um it's disgraceful Absolutely. yeah like, like Chelsea have always been a high profile race like a uh, club with racist elements like we all remember about the Chelsea headhunters who yeah. some people believe are still there. Like they're just uh, they're just kind of hiding in plain sight, as it were. Chelsea are well aware. That I know they they have made great strides in trying to get rid of these like racist elements. Well, they have. They still rare to exactly Yeah, they've not distanced themselves from Ken Bates, who was their former chairman, who basically mm. stated about all of these um, historical racism claims coming out. Ken Bates just basically opened said that all these ancient coming out was because of it there was a sniff of money in the air you know and that's the former club chairman and they've not distanced themselves he said that no. in may 2018 jesus christ and the, the worst thing is that that, would, not not all of that would have happened under his watch as well you know oh, absolutely yeah. you know so it, it, it's unbelievably shameful about it you know williams mm. as well also um he didn't just pick on the black players as well um uh, if you, if anybody's ever read it, uh, ever read Graham Lasso's autobiography, Williams is mentioned in it as being mm-hmm. particularly homophobic as well. Oh, shocked horror! That's shocking. Yeah, absolutely. No. But uh, Graham Lasso said, and the direct quote from this is this Lasso wrote this in his fucking autobiography. Um, he said he would wander up to me before training and say, "Come on, you puff, get your boots on." <laughs> so like. And he was a child at the time. Like, he was a child player. Like, he was a player yeah. of Chelsea in England. Oh, my God. So, yeah. And also, it doesn't... Also, it probably won't shock you either to know that Ken Bates and William, Gwyn Williams were very, very close friends. Naturally. Yeah. How else would you like the actually, job? Williams and Bates followed each other to Leeds United. Mm. Which is yes. where Bates got his... Um, he lost a job in 2013 for gross misconduct after he emailed porn to a load of his friends, including his female secretary. <laughs> based by name based by nature yeah yeah so yeah um so yeah. that's why um chelsea uh get my card i mean you you just can't do that you like it's it's just platitudes from them like mm. you you really do need to address the fact that your club is systemic racist problems and just go yeah. look this is what happens like in all fairness i'm i'm actually kind of on board with the whole Look, that was the 1980s. The entire club hierarchy has changed completely. So that's not us. And, you know, I'm, all, I'm all yeah on board somewhat. I agree with that as well. But you still have to address it and you still have to do that. And when Bates is saying, again, in 2018, May 2018, that 
all of this shit coming out is only because there's this sniff of money in the air. You need to turn around and go, actually, no, they, they deserve these reparations. This mm-hmm. was horrible shit that went to them. Almost all of the players subjected to this never went, never put, never kept on with football. No, they all left football. All left football, yeah. You no, know, none of them, none of them stayed on. So he mm. just ran these players, he ground them down, and ran these players out of their something that they loved. So you know, to just it's just it's horrendous hypocrisy. Yeah, it is. And like, it, in a way, like this could open, like, I'm sure this will open a Pandora's box then for other teams to be cross examined in the same way. Like, very recently, like, we would have had a run in with, with, with a racism row over Luis Suarez and how we very stupidly supported him when he was clearly guilty. So, in a way, like, that, we got down the neck when, we, when Liverpool put out the photo of everyone taking a knee uh, before training. And then everyone, everyone, like, looking at us. The, the null and void brigade, as we call them, uh, looking at us and going like, oh, isn't it rich for you lad to take a knee during, after what happened with you and Suarez? It's like, yeah, no, it's not, it's not stupid at all. It's it, it's fact that we've learned from this. We've realized that, yes, that was a really stupid thing to do. Not only was it stupid, but it put our reputation in the drain for so long that even after we got rid of Suarez and had this like unsavory reputation, like it took so long for us to even apologize to Patrice Everett over it. Like, the fact that we were even in such a staunch denial over it says so much. But, like, this is the time to start looking at these kind of things. For every club to look and say, like, how many racist or homophobic things took place in this sort of way? Because, again, we we know the horrible stories of Billy Burnell and all these other horrible, horrible people who have abused their positions in power in football. And now that, like, the conversation is being had, at least from the racist aspect of it, yes, I think every should, club should should look at this in the same way and investigate if they they had cases of institutional racism because now is the time to, to act on it. I can believe that people in Chelsea I'm... want to get this off their chest because it's bad PR. Like Chelsea fans have like a stereotype of being racist. It wasn't so long ago that they pushed a black man off a train in Paris purely because he was black. This is that was four years ago. So, like, the, the stereotype has, didn't disappear in the 80s. It's always been there. And it should be in their best interests to get rid of that reputation. Because if this is a new Chelsea, they should prove it. They should be allowed to prove it, at least. Um, I don't think you'd look back at any club. At, and look, in all honesty, there's so many things that have come to light uh, with as I've kind of looked into educating myself like um mm. I, I found a link um which brought me to a study uh, and peer reviewed study so you know you know I look for legitimate links and not just people's opinions uh, of slave ownership in Ireland and um Jameson whiskey uh mm. like the John Jameson was uh, massive in the slave trade and you know we all know I like a whiskey and a Jemison would be my go-to, but I'm very, very conflicted now. Like, mm. Obviously, that brand has gone so much further down the line, but their original startup funding came from the selling on of slaves. Yeah. yeah. Liam, uh, Liam Hogan, he's fantastic on Twitter. I know you, you don't go to Twitter. Well, nobody does really for an informed, brilliant opinion. One <laughs> of a few people there, um, Liam Hogan, he's a Limerick historian. And he's been one of the major proponents. And you get a lot of Irish Americans shitting on about the whole Irish slaves thing. Um, there was a particularly fucking awful book called um, 
uh, white cargo, which is about the whole thing about Irish slaves or white slaves and shit like that. So uh, he's been really, really good. And he, his tweets are huge eight, nine tweet fucking threads. And they're brilliantly referenced and fantastic. And it's all about how, yeah, Irish were, the Irish were very, very prominent slave owners as well. Like, mm. you know, there, there's a reason why there's whole rafts of black families who have Irish sounding surnames because they took on their master's surnames yeah. when they gained a, a bit of their freedom. So that's good. So he's, he's definitely worth a follow. I think it's Limerick1914 is his Twitter handle. Oh, cool. Thanks so, um, for that. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll ping it on to you, but he, it's fantastic. And he's constantly just, people are constantly going at him and he's just fucking wrecking them. It's, it's good if you want your daily dose of hashtag wrecked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he um, is the man for it. Yeah. But I, I will join in like, and just say that like, I don't think any club in football is going to have a completely clean history in terms no. of... Um, incidents of you know you'd have to imagine child abuse you'd have to imagine racism and sexism and all of that kind of stuff that you know we're kind of giving out to Chelsea for I'm not I'm 100% sure there's more to like there's going to be more cases of this throughout the league and throughout the different clubs it's just how Chelsea have had these um stories come forward and come to light um, and then not done anything about it because we do have this, you know, they have this reputation of being, like, I looked up, I just Googled their racist club. The first club that came up was Chelsea. Mm. Just typed in racist football club and Chelsea comes up first. And um, they have that. And like, if you're a club, you want to get rid of that. You don't want to be top of the pile <laughs> for, yeah. you know, that Google search. Um, so, uh, you know, what I'm saying is this is Chelsea's, you know, can kind of lead the way in making the changes for the better. And uh, at the minute, they have actively not done that. Mm. They've actively, you know, not distanced themselves from all of these horrible, horrible incidents from their past, um, yeah. which, you know, is, you know, you can look at it as being accepting of it. Mm. And it's terrible. This is the trouble. So I'm, because, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna vote for Chelsea as my cod because that's just a bit too horrific to avoid. Yeah, I, I yeah, Neil's kind of won me over here as well because uh, like Chelsea are kind of taking their they are the the the, pit, the tip of the spear here when it comes to to racist incidents. Um, I know it's Millwall. The, it's the hypocrisy. It's like, the hypocrisy it's not, of it. Yeah, it's the hypocrisy. Like uh, as. Borkwat said, like, every club has a history. Own it. Say, look, it's not, that's not us. Mm. You know, you got no hatred for the oppressor or any of that. You know, like, that's, that's just, they're different people. We're now trying to move on and we've got this positivity going. Yeah. Like, accept and own your history because otherwise yeah. then you're going to repeat it. And their fan base are repeating it. You know, mm. that, that, that's what happens when you've got, legions of your fans on trains chanting we're racist we're racist and that's the way we the way like that, it yeah like that's not a club that's learning from its fucking history or its mistake well it's learning from its history it's learning from it's history yeah fucking way yeah. and that's the that's kind of the that's the issue there you know yeah the, the club have a stance that their fan base are just like nah we're not on board with this mate this is the and bizarre the club thing like, to turn around and go like 
yeah, you know, fuck you, Stan. You know, yeah. just don't come. That's what that's what that's what a lot of clubs have done. Like I know it's it's like a lot of like club Twitters are just basically a guy with a, la- a student with a laptop. But you have seen like clubs like West Brom, like who have like given a Black Lives Matter sign, and then some gammon in the Twitter goes like, "I'm canceling my season ticket," and like, you just see West Brom going, "Good riddance, don't fucking yeah. want it." I was like, "Yeah, you that know, is I, the." I mean, like, I understand, like, I understand this will come from a somewhat biased uh, kind of position, but like Arsenal were really, really good in this. Mm. Um, you know, the whole thing with um, the rainbow laces, the whole campaign, you know, I can't help this, I can't help this, mm. you know, which led to Giroud being the most memeable person on the face of the earth for about four months. <laughs> um, he, can't help that he, he just can't help that he's gorgeous. No, it's true. You can't. Uh, yeah. Sorry, she's dropped her phone again now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But, uh, uh, at least I hope that was her phone that dropped. <laughs> yeah. But it was really quite good as well. Like, so, you know, we've made, you know, quite positive strides in that. And yeah. I think clubs, you really, you just go, you go forward, own your, accept your history and realize that if you've got a toxic fan base, it's, it's, it's time to start from, getting rid of them. It's come from, it's coming from somewhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you need to do something about it. Absolutely. Because like I said, it's like, I, I, I keep seeing this, seeing this sense of myself, even over the last few weeks. Like, again, we're all kind of like cross-examining ourselves here and seeing like, what could we do more? If not, like, again, we're, we're all white. We're all in a very privileged position here to not put up with this shit. But like, these are clubs that are like, there are massive, like millions of followers and millions of like fans like they are a great this is a great opportunity for them to to exact some change especially like a club like Chelsea or even throw it another any other club that's had racist incidents in the past like this is the time to 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 take out whatever fucking cyst of like fans you have because like that like that sort of like that culture of hooliganism is gone is is weaning it has been weaning for years now it's time to kill off the fucking virus one one and for all get yeah. rid of get rid of them all out of the club like because they're not fans of the other they're just they're just like uh, fucking skinheads, the desperate for a fight, point point blank. Like you so you saw what happened in London. Like the the people, there's people that were actually having fights weren't even the protesters. It was all the fucking gammons that wanted to fight with the police for no reason. Like these yeah. are just like these are just bell ends. Like and, I'm and sorry, people like, are linking them to being football hooligans as well. Of course they are. Like because they, they they're not like you can tell that they're not even there for the fucking protest. They're just there for a fight. So like. Like it, it, obviously not there for the, for they wouldn't be there for the, for the sport either. So yeah, like take it. You know who they are. You have all the season ticket details. You know them by face. You have enough CCTV. Tell them to fuck off. Like if you're worried that they're not going to fill the stadium anymore, don't worry. You've got about six million other fans around the world that's happy to take those seats. So you're not going to lose out on anything. You know, you're not betraying your your loyal fans. Like loyalty only gets you so far when you realize that they're complete dicks. So fuck them. Get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, for Pigar and Neil, would you have gone for the FAI or would you have gone for uh, poor old porn baron, Barnsy? Well, I would like to go for John Barnes because there is definitely something kind of wrong-ish with him and how he's used. Yeah. To, every, time, every time she brings out the FAI, I'm like, what have they done now? And then What's next? You know, she talks and then I'm like, oh God, no, how is it getting worse? Like, this is incredible. Like, like months ago I thought nah it's not getting any worse for the FAI and then every time we do a fucking podcast and every time she picks the FAI I was like oh god what have they done now so, yeah, I'd, I'd have gone for the FAI because Jesus like lads come on dig up 
you got Mother, you've got Mother <laughs> Teresa on board, lads. Now, surely this is this is when nature is healing. <laughs> Obviously not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, lads, that's been our that's our podcast. That is our preview of the next few weeks ahead. Uh, we will take we will be back, I suppose, next week or the week after to run down all the football that will be happening of next few days. Um, yeah, we've got days next, of this, it. This time, quite literal week, days of it. Yeah, this time next week we'll have played two games. We will. Yes. I, you won't have. Um, no. We'll have played one. Uh, in fact, actually, by this time next week, you could have actually won it. We could have been. We could be champions. Yeah, yeah you could have won it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll come onto the Zoom call after the hammered from the fucking day before. Yeah. But because um, I'm sure, as you all know, like because of the restrictions and all that, our Liverpool fans are going to have a very nice and reserved celebration. Outside Goodison Park, <laughs> like nowhere to rely. Like the are people going, like, well, hang on, like obviously you don't want people congregating outside Goodison. Just set up a socially distant celebration in Stanley Park because then people will just happily go with that rather than just like going ape shit like outside the gates. You know, I don't think that's they're going to go with that, unfortunately. But um, but like I said, in one way or the other, like we we should win the title by the time we come back. Think weather permitting, obviously. Um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I'm not putting my uh, eggs in any basket until it's actually done because I'm a Liverpool fan and I know how this shit works by now. <laughs> so, but there's also part of me that says if we do somehow like end the lockdown by winning the league title at Goodison Park and getting Leeds back into the league, <laughs> that this will be spoken to in folklore for yeah. years and years to come. Like Absolutely. it is going to be well, like. In all fairness, now you don't have Sir Alex Ferguson around to fuck it up for you. This is it, like you know, we're all all we're, we're all we're worried about is Pep Guardiola and his shit cardigan. Like that's yep. that's it. Like we're <laughs> nothing to worry about there, lads. You know, um, but yeah, that is that is a hope. Hopefully, Arsenal do a job for us on Wednesday and uh, tee it up for us to uh, score the goal. Uh, don't, don't rely on Arsenal to do a job for you. Just to let I, you know. I, I live in hope. Right? I live in so, hope. Bert, there will I be really, a job really do. done. There will be a job done come the 17th. Now, whether or not it's a good or a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> it's beside the point. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, lads, that's been our podcast. I could yeah. be more excited. Same here. Same here. Football's coming home, lads, and it feels so good. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. uh, that's been our podcast as I get attacked by a, by a dog here on this Woo! call. Uh, we will get see you soon on the Liquid Football Podcast. Uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, until then, we'll see you later. <laughs> what are you doing?